Greetings from the Pumpkin Patch, and welcome, Halloweeniacs, to the Jack-O-Lantern Press podcast on the Weird Network, where we discuss monsters and Halloween. My name is Michael Piccarella. And my name's Tom Piccarella. Tonight's episode, A Night with J.P. Michaels. Those were sounds and music from the 1954 film Them, in honor of Creature Features, which we're going to be talking about, and we have a treat for you tonight. So, J.P. Michaels, he is a writer, filmmaker, novelist, classic movie lover, and for our benefit this evening, an expert in creature features. And we thought it would be appropriate to bring Mr. Michaels on the show tonight because, not sure where you all are uh, listening from, but... Here in Los Angeles County, uh, they just recently canceled trick-or-treating, trunk-or-treating, Halloween carnivals, festivals, haunted house attractions, and many other things that we like to do on Halloween. So for those of us who still want to celebrate Halloween, it's going to be important to get a lineup of monster movies in place sooner than later. So I'm personally looking for some new creature features to check out this Halloween, and there really was only one person to call to get a solid list, and that's J.P. Michaels. So Tom and I talked to him, and uh, we had a good conversation. What do you think, Tom? No, I this guy definitely has some knowledge in movies, monster movies, and creature features for sure. So and and like you, I mean, I don't know if they've canceled all that here in Idaho, but. I would imagine that most people are not going to let their kids out to go trick-or-treating. I'm probably not going to do anything outside. I'll probably do stuff inside, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to some movie watching. I'm possibly going to go to dad's, uh, you know, but it would be neat to, even if I'm here, to maybe uh, some of the stuff he lists off, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a collection together and probably just sit there and watch those movies. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely a really good uh, good interview. I, I guess I should say, in case if someone is listening to this episode years from now, um, if that's possible, uh, the reason all of this is count is canceled is because of the pandemic, because of COVID nineteen. So all this stuff is canceled. I'm sure people are still gonna come out you know it was like fourth of july they said no fireworks shows but then in la there were fireworks everywhere so i'm sure people are still going to come out but i'm not sure that i'm really going to do anything outside like i normally do because there probably won't be a ton of people going which sucks because it's halloween's on a saturday this year yeah yeah that is that that's the worst part is that i wish it was last year when i went to your house and we could do, you know, a bigger haunted house and pull more people over from that one street that's right down the way there from you. But yeah, I think I think what I'm going to end up doing is I will probably have monster movies on all day. Uh, I may do some some ghost story reading. I will definitely have treats, you know, whether it be I'll have like yep. a pumpkin pie. I'll probably have a a cauldron full of, of my favorite candy. I may have some like cookies, definitely some apple cider, uh, you know, and that's yeah, what I'm going to, I think that's what apple I'm going to do. And I, I think I'm going to pull my record player out. I'm going to grab some of those ghost stories uh, on the record player when it gets closer to nighttime. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do the same thing. Maybe go try to find some, uh, 
good podcasts like Jack or Lantern Press or Nightmare 365 and maybe start listening to a ton of those episodes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know what yeah. else I'll probably end up doing is I'll probably go to jackolanternpress.com and get me a, another copy of Transylvania Traveler, our book, because, you know, what if I want to read it again? You know, do I really want to use the six copies that I have in my office right now or the, the 20 copies that I have in my trunk? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I... Same. Maybe I need to get the you know 21 books and take that one book that's you know outside of the 20 and read that see yeah, in case if you want to read it more than 20 times you're going to need exactly. that 21st book i think we actually have read it more than 20 times when we edited it i think so too <laughs> it's needless to say this is a great interview uh and this guy like i said he's got jp's got a lot of of knowledge in this area so definitely enjoy it yeah, so uh, we'll go ahead and, and uh, switch it over to uh, the interview. Uh, enjoy, and again, uh, this is J.P. Michaels. Uh, he is a writer, filmmaker, classic movie lover, and creature feature expert. So let's go ahead and get him on the line. Uh, one of the things that I was going to say was... Uh, that I don't know what's going on up north, but down here in Los Angeles County, they have already pretty much canceled Halloween. So there's no trick-or-treating. There's no trunk-or-treating, right. Halloween carnivals, mm -hmm. all that. So I know Tom and I have already kind of talked about this, and uh, we're basically just going to run monster movies all day. And so I figured, you know, this is going to be a perfect time to to talk to JP because – you know monster movies more than anyone and so I want I don't want to just watch the same movies this Halloween I want to watch something new so if I'm going to find out a good movie and something I haven't heard of we need to get JP on the line <laughs> so um but before we get into all that I wanted to just ask um or and before we we ask who you are um we're going to just start with one Halloween memory that comes to your mind, JP. Okay, yeah. The um, the easiest one for me is that I actually saw the movie Halloween for the first time on Halloween. And with the exception of Dawn of the Dead, it's probably my favorite horror movie of all time. So that was a really cool, uh, that was a really cool memory. It's like going to a, a baseball game for the first time and your favorite player hits a home run. I mean, it's just... It was just really cool to see that movie on Halloween and to have it have such a big impact on uh, uh, my love of movies. And, and I'm uh, just for the younger folks, we are talking about Halloween, the 1978 version, right? Yes, yeah. okay. yes. Uh, John, back when John Carpenter was still a no offense, Michael. Um, <laughs> back when John Carpenter was still a good director. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because JP knows I love I love Carpenter, but no, I I understand where you're coming from on that. Uh, I used to love Carpenter, and I still love his old movies. I just feel like I can only watch the uh, the old movies and not the uh, the ones from the last 20 years. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. So so Halloween is definitely your favorite movie then, not number three or four? In, in terms original? of horror movies, it would be number two uh, behind Dawn of the Dead, the original. I'm talking about scary horror movies, not creature feature films. Um, Dawn of the Dead would probably be number one and Halloween would be number two. And I'd, I'd put Night of the Living Dead right after that. 
nice nice that's a great pick both good picks yeah all right so uh all right jp so uh who are you um where are you from how'd you get into monsters and monster movies um did you go to school or any training how did how did you learn your craft well i'm from new york although i was raised in uh, uh, san jose california uh, in fact, until recently, uh, the last 50 years, I'm 51, uh, the last 50 years, my residence was in the city of San Jose the entire time. Uh, I was only born in New York and moved out here when I was six months old. Um, I, I took film history classes, but I never took filmmaking classes. My training was in that I made three very bad films, but they were feature films. I put all my money into it. Um, uh, dealt with, you know, hiring the actors and auditioning and uh, um, different types of equipment. And that led to me finally making a good movie, the one that's on YouTube. It's called Things We Said Today. And if anybody's interested in seeing it, um, you have if you ter- search Things We Said Today, you have to add J.P. Michaels. Otherwise, you're going to have to scroll through about 50 Beatles videos because that's also the title of <laughs> Beatles. Oh. Well, what we could do is we could get a link and then we'll put it in the the show notes. So anyone who wants to check it out, they could go to the show notes, click on it. It's it's an excellent movie. When you said you made three movies and not very good ones, I was thinking, wait, I saw... I saw that movie. That was a really good movie. But okay, yeah, I got. I didn't see the first the two. The three movies were the education on how to make uh, a good movie. Um, in fairness, and I have to give a shout out to uh, my producer friend of the first two movies. If you watched my very first movie, it's unwatchable. We reshot it, and if you saw the second one, you wouldn't believe they were made by the same people. The the <laughs> learning curve was that much better just by having made one bad film, um, and then by the time I made things we said today, which was my fourth movie, um, I'd had a pretty good handle on how not to make uh, a, on the technical side. Um, I still very proud of the scripts for the other for uh, the other movies. But on a technical side, I learned by failing and teaching myself. And then, of course, uh, uh, I've seen more movies than almost uh, anybody you'll ever meet. Um, I told Michael about this uh, a few months ago, I think. When I was working, this will tell you how old I am. When I was working at a hotel, working the swing shift, I would get off at 11 o'clock at night, go to the Blockbuster video just down the street and rent two movies every night. And I'd I'd go home, make dinner, stay up till six o'clock in the morning watching a double feature. I did this for an entire summer and not even counting my (laughs) days off when I would go to (laughs) movies. No, no exaggeration. I think I saw 180 movies in three months. Yeah. Didn't you say I've never seen before? Didn't you say you did the whole classic movie shelf at Blockbuster? Yeah. Except for the ones that I'd already seen. So JP, I can just tell you from experience of working at Blockbuster, because I worked (laughs) there when I was 16 uh, that's a lot of movies. <laughs> uh, the reason I was so... able to get through it is because I had seen, um, you know, all the, the Bogart movies, anything by Howard Hawks and Michael Curtiz. I had already knocked that off anything Warner Brothers. And I'm a huge fan of Sidney Poitier and um, the early war movies and Western movies of the 1960s. So I didn't have to see any of those. I was watching all the ones that I had telling myself, hey, you keep hearing about this movie. You got to see it, you know. And I was just knocking off all the, they were all great, famous movies, but they're the ones that I hadn't gotten around to yet. So it made it easier to go through the entire shelf. But yeah, I, I anything that was in the classic section of Blockbuster, I've seen it. 
Okay, so I'm just oh. I'm just curious. Uh, so you said we can we can see the the one movie. Uh, you called it Things We Said Today. That's correct. And then, so your first movie that you made, can we actually see that one as well on YouTube? Or no, no? Um, the the first two movies I shot were actually the same movie. I took a second stab at it. Um, right. It's it's from my favorite script. Um, Michael's read little snippets of it. Uh, it's the 1940s noir script that I wrote exactly the way it would have been written in the 1940s the goal is to make it if it were to play at 2 30 in the morning on turner classic movies and you were flipping through the channels before you saw an actor whose face you recognize you would think you were watching a movie from the 1940s and the script was very good but the first version was just unwatchable the second version the problem with it was that the i didn't act in either version um i played the lead in the movie that i'm happy with even though i think the movie would have been better without me and if i could have stayed behind the camera but the second movie the problem was is that the acting was was really flat and we needed a little bit more money for art direction and uh, cinematography but everything's clear in focus the photography's consistent the sound is consistent it just lacks that professional energy that you get from any good movie and then the third movie that i shot i finished principal photography but that movie was my own personal heart of darkness. Everything that could have possibly gone wrong. We could do a whole show on that, but I'm not going to bring, it, bring <laughs> that stuff up. But everything that could possibly go wrong with that production went wrong. And I never even bothered going into the editing room with that footage. But all three of those experiences shaped how solid, um, uh, pardon the immodesty, but shaped how solid the fourth film, uh, the one that's on YouTube, is. Uh, because I... It was a good script. The acting was not Robert De Niro or anything like that, but it was energetic. It was consistent. And um, the technical aspect of it was was pretty professional. Yeah, so I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's it's a great film. I, I enjoyed it. There's a lot of cool things going on in there um, and definitely worth checking out um, for those listening. Thank you. Um, oh, so what about um, as far as mo- your mo- we'll get into monster movies now. What mm-hmm. what was was there one monster movie that did it for you? And do you remember yeah. what it was and it, why? It was definitely it was definitely King Kong. Nice. Um, it was the first. It wasn't the first movie I ever saw. I have uh, vague images of memories of being in a theater seeing Song of the South. But the first time I ever saw a movie in which. My attention span was enough to watch the movie from beginning to end and not need my parents to explain anything to me was the original King Kong. And it's still uh, a great movie. Right before the pandemic happened, it was um, uh, it was playing on Fathom Events. And I, I went to go see it, you know, earlier this year. And I still love it. That was the movie that got me not into, not just into creature features or, or giant monsters, but in movies in general. And it was really the start of my passion for for movies. How old okay, were, so how old hold, were hold you? Hold on one sec before you yeah. answer that. I know exactly I gotta, what he's going to ask. Too. I already know you're, you're, <laughs> you know what I'm going to ask. We brought this up in in one of our podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. So my brother and I go back and forth on this because I love King Kong. He loves King Kong. By the way, Tom, real quick, I already know what – I don't know his answer, but I know what he's going to say. I but anyway, go, already know what I already he's going gonna... to say. Okay, so there's the black and white edition, happen. and there's the colorized edition that came out. I don't re- I don't remember when they did it. I think I, I had I it in our 80s. other podcast. Yeah. Was it the 80s? I think so. And I personally love 
the black and white movies. However, I think for King Kong, they made it. Yeah, it looks there's some stuff that looks a little cheesy. I'm not going to lie, but I think the color made that movie better. I don't know if you've seen the colorized version of it. I've seen parts of it out of curiosity. Um, I will tell you that even though I prefer movies not to be colorized, um, I do understand why you would feel that way. Um, One night I was at work. I have a lot of downtime at work. I hope my bosses aren't listening. Um, (laughs) I I have a lot of downtime at work, and I – watched on i think it was daily motion the colorized version of in uh oh gosh the the one the the ray harryhausen movie uh, earth versus the flying saucers oh and i found i found myself thinking that you know what because of the the stop motion and the type of photography it is that colorization doesn't interfere with the cinematography as much because there's always there's already something a little bit I, I'm not knocking Ray Harryhausen I'm one of the world's biggest Ray Harryhausen fans um, but stop motion photography and split screen effects don't seem to be derailed uh, the way uh, a great noir dark cinematography classic would be by colorization and I could easily see that applying to King Kong I didn't watch the whole movie I just watched a couple of sequences just to see how they did it um, but I, I never watched the whole movie in color but I totally understand why you might feel that way because I honestly enjoyed seeing Earth versus the Flying Saucers again in color even though I'm normally against that no, I'm, so basically what you're saying is you might be on my side. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm on both. I, I can't criticize somebody for wanting to see a different version of a movie just to see how it how it plays and then still enjoying it. I mean, it's just um, I think you have to be open minded enough to at least check it out. And King Kong is such a great movie that I don't think one, I don't think anything could destroy it unless they took literally took scenes out of the movie and, you know, jumbled it up but two right. i do think the colorization uh doesn't seem to have the effect on uh stop motion and split screen and mat and mat work that it does on uh you know film noir or historical epics with uh, yeah white. yeah, yeah no, i think I if you think colorize they, film they, noir that's a sin yeah, film noir, <laughs> noir would be horrible i don't think that would look good because it's supposed yeah. to be dark and whatnot yeah um so so the, the, go, the going back to the, the yeah. yeah going back to the original question where Mike was was thrown in there how old were you when you were watching the King Kong movie Um I couldn't have been more than 6 or 7 um I seen my attention span for movies uh seemed to come a lot earlier than a lot of a lot of other people to give you an example um the first time I saw 12 Angry Men uh which is in my top 10 movies not only was I not even 10 years old, but I was watching it on commercial television. This was be- long before we had a VCR. Um, and I got into uh, my parents were watching it. I'd come home from summer school and the movie was already 40 minutes old. And the reason I wanted to watch it was because I used to love the old um, odd couple show with Jack Klugman and Tony Randall. And Jack Klugman was in the movie. And I was like, oh, there's Oscar. So I started watching the movie and. Even missing the beginning, even though it's all dialogue, all set in one room, which, by the way, so is my movie. I was very inspired by 12 Angry Men. Um, But here's a movie that's the last thing in the world you think a nine-year-old would want to see, especially if you miss the beginning of the movie and it's with commercials. And I was utterly captivated, and I was checking the TV guide for the next 
six or seven months trying to find that movie so I can watch it from the beginning. And then when I saw it from the beginning, it instantly became one of my all-time favorite movies, and it still is. That's, That's crazy. That's funny that you bring up 12 Angry Men. So when I was younger, and I can't remember what grade I was in, but we read we read the story, and then we watched the movie. And mm-hmm. I've, I love that movie. I even I love the book, too. I mean, the movie portrayed the book great. Uh, yeah. but the, they did a great job on that movie. It's, it's one of those things that I love. I, I love watching. I haven't heard too many people actually say, yeah, I love that movie, but, or that they even love the book, but, um, mm-hmm. very few people. So that's kind of cool that you, you actually like that. I, th- I think it's pretty high actually on the, the, in the internet movie database, 250. I think it's in the top, I think it's like in the top 40, if I'm not mistaken. It's probably yeah, it in the be. top hundred AFI's hundred top hundred movies as well. I, I can't oh, remember yeah. where, but it's gotta be in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easily one of the best films ever made mm-hmm. just because of how it's so captivating. Like you're saying, um, yeah. and it takes place in one room with, you know, right. 12 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and very very topical it's as topical today as it was back in 1950 i think the movie was 1957 if i'm not mistaken that sounds about right yeah um so let's talk a little bit about creature features so do you have sure. uh, a definition of creature feature is it the same thing as a monster movie or do you see it as something different it's it's mostly the same my my definition is pretty simple it's any creature or creatures that either don't exist, they had to make them up for the movie, or they're creatures that are partly something that exist, and they're co- they always have to be causing destruction and death. Um, but uh, it could also be something that actually exists, but has been modified in some way, like uh, government uh, uh, experimentation or um, uh, radiation or pollution or something like that. As long as it's uh, either a creature that doesn't exist that's created for the movie or a creature that has been a, a regular creature that has been somehow made dangerous by uh, man's uh, stupidity towards science. That to me pretty m- And then of course they have to destroy things and kill people. Uh, that to me is pretty much the, it doesn't matter how big they are. They can be very small. I think Piranha from 1978, the, oh, the Joe love Dante it. movie. Love that movie. I, I consider that a creature feature. Uh, those, uh, they were genetically altered by the military in that movie. And, uh, then of course the you know the uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's even got creature in the title, and you know the the giant insect movies. I consider creature feature movies. Um, uh, that's that's pretty much my definition of it. Do you think that there uh, is there a, be- a great place to see them, like or a best a preferred place to see it, like in the theater? Does should it be a drive-in for those that remember the um, drive-in or? Well, drive-ins are actually right now because of the pandemic making a bit of a comeback. Um, I, uh, I definitely think seeing a movie in a movie theater, provided it's a, a well-behaved audience, um, is always the best way to, uh, to see a movie. But, um, to me, the drive-in experience is more of the communal thing, or if you're, or if you're on a date and you're looking for a, 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 a you can't afford a hotel, um, at least, you know, <laughs> when drive-ins were that, but, uh, uh, I don't really watch a movie for the communal experience. Um, I don't talk back at the movie. Um, I might make a comment if I'm watching a movie with my, my brother and I get together to watch, uh, uh, movies every week now. 
and um, I might give them a little feedback on uh, on an older movie or something that's interesting. But mostly I watch the mo- if I'm going to be watching a movie, my focus is on the movie, not on a group of people gathering to have a good time. So the, the drive in experience to me is a little bit separate from that's more of a communal experience, kind of like going to a baseball game, even if you don't See, like baseball. Yeah, I totally. Yeah. I totally agree with you because I think there's some movies where it's really great to have that communal experience, but there are some Mm -hmm. movies. So like in this case, a monster movie for me, I almost prefer being in my house with the lights off, you know, and you're watching Mm -hmm. this monster movie, you know, the mood is just, it's, it's more appropriate for that type of movie. So yeah, I was kind of wondering uh, what you, what you thought, Tom, do you have like a preference or do you care about the communal experience? No, I, I, if I watch monster movies, I, I, uh, I'm kind of like you are, where I, I'd rather have it dark, maybe drinking some hot apple cider or some tea or something. I mean, one thing that I will say, you know, I like watching monster movies with dad, you know, at dad's place, because you know, a lot of the times I'm, I'm always over there or something watching movies. But, you know, for the most part, just dark, maybe light some candles or something and and watch mm-hmm. the movie. So, yeah, yeah. for sure. It, I have. I have to say, if you can see, uh, I until be, until the pan, before the pandemic shut it down, I was working at the Stanford uh, Movie Palace in in Stanford uh, in Palo Alto, and um, I got to see as a double feature War of the Worlds and Twenty Million Miles to Earth, oh, and I'd man. seen both those movies oh, nice. many times. But the uh, 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 everybody will rem- who's a fan of War of the Worlds will remember that one amazing aerial shot that's shot from the point of view of the, of the biplane. That it, that's weaving in and out of the uh, the attacking aliens. That shot on a big screen, uh, it totally blows away anything else, any other experience of watching that movie, even if on a sixty inch, you know, uh, liquid crystal TV. You're right. just and, not going to not going to get it that, like it is in big screen. And you guys project film there too, right? So that's yeah, we, an we added bonus. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it, so as far as these movies go, um, you know, some people, they just think, well, they're old movies. Uh, what, what would you say to those people? And like, why do you think these movies are important to film history? Well, and before well, you answer that, one thing that, that I also want to throw in there is most people nowadays, if they look at the older movies, it doesn't have the effects. It doesn't have mm-hmm. the insane gore. I mean, Look at look at the the Frankenstein meets the Wolfman or the Wolfman. I mean, was there even? I don't even think there was any blood in it. I think no, uh, everything no. was shadows, and it was just you know they were going down the dark corridor there or something. There Incredible wasn't, shadow work and art design in that movie. Right, right, and and people were terrified of of those movies. The House mm-hmm. on Haunted Hill. Uh, I was yep. told that when that movie came out people were screaming in in the theaters but if you if you watch that now it's kind of like well wait what what's going on here this isn't that scary but people right. well, that one out. um on on that one that was the William Castle picture and, and supposedly they floated a skeleton over the audience so i'm sure they were you know getting oh, that crazy. probably freaked them out even yeah. more because yeah, <laughs> yeah that that skeleton scene is kind of cheese. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is so when you answer that question, you know, b- bear in mind people nowadays and maybe possibly some of our listeners are, are probably, you know, maybe if they're not into the classics, give your reasoning as to, as to why, why you would, you would want them to appreciate the classics. Well, 
two things in that, and this is actually something that I think about a lot. Um, I get really uh, annoyed when people say that the uh, the special effects of Ray Harryhausen or in King Kong they have dated because of CGI. I don't think the special effects have dated. I think uh, our imagination has waned. Um, and we're just too, to me, it's like looking at a, a painting. If the painting looks too real, you're not looking at a painting anymore. You're looking at a photograph. And you can't, I love seeing, being able to see not only something that's spectacular and imaginative, but also seeing the work that goes into it. Um, Michael, I think we talked about um, the re-release of E.T. in which Spielberg made the uh. horrible mistake of, replacing not only adding scenes that he could do with CGI, but adding CGI to um, E.T.'s face, and it just completely destroyed all the original work. Luckily, he's admitted that was a mistake, and now pretty much if you watch it on Netflix or if it plays on TV, you get to see the, the old special effects. That's kind of like George um, Lucas and going back and editing the Star Wars stuff and adding right. all of those the stuff in the windows, and people hated it. Yeah, I didn't think it was it, that bad, but people hated I, it. I didn't think it was that bad either, but I understand the uh, uh, that a lot of people uh, who are fans of the old movies, they feel like the imagination is being lost. In terms of the, the studying the history of it and why it's so important, I can't think of a subject, movies, any art form or history in general, where studying history isn't important anyway. Even if World War II and Vietnam are culturally and historically more fascinating to most people than world war one should you not study world war one um if you're a beatles fan and you knew i was going to bring the beatles into this somewhere um, <laughs> the i i love the beatles as much as anybody and there's no question that they're the most iconic and influential music group of the 20th century but they were heavily influenced by uh, the black musicians who came before and uh, Smokey Robinson pointed out that until the Beatles were talking about how much they loved Motown, he had never heard a white artist openly say, I love these black musicians and they had an, an influence on me. I can't hear a song like She's a Woman or um, uh, Got to Get You Into My Life and not hear Motown. So if you study the history, not only do you get a broader perspective on the stuff that you already like and where it came from, but there's just a lot of great movies that came before you were born, a lot of great music that came before you were born, and there's always going to be fascinating history. With the exception of my new, my most recent novel, uh, The Mind's Eye, my first three novels were all uh, historical pieces. One takes place in 1922 in Africa. Uh, my novel Film Noir takes place in Hollywood in 1953, and my novel Glory Days is takes place in two eras 1970 and 1995 at the 25 year class reunion of the school um history is always going to be important no matter what the subject is and if you're a fan of steven spielberg and i know i am his movies are constantly littered with references to the old movies the ship in uh, the lost world is the venture which is the name of the ship in king kong uh john williams music in uh, the lost world when they're showing the trails of in the fields when the raptors are oh, chasing yeah. everybody and all you see is the trail. That music is a recreation of the island music from King Kong. So um, you, if you don't study the history, you're not going to realize where this stuff comes from. And then the other thing is, is that a lot of stuff in history doesn't date. Um, the music score for King Kong, everybody who's a film buff knows that that was a game changer. It was the first music score that was written explicitly for what was happening on the screen rather than pulling some other pre-recorded uh, stuff that didn't conflict with what was on the screen too much and just playing that. But even if you take out the, 
the the game changing stuff and just listen to the score, even though it's the first ever film score written specifically for a movie, it's also still one of the best. So if you're not studying history, you're going to miss these great examples of uh, of of how these movies were made and, and movies that are still good. I'll throw in one more example. Um, the first half hour of Them, 1954, one of my all-time favorite movies, that's a, a great episode of Law & Order. They don't tell you it's giant ants. It's not like Jaws where even though you don't see the shark, you know they're talking about a shark. The first half hour of Them plays like a great crime procedural oh yeah and by the time by the time that the ants do come in you could show that movie to somebody who loves law and order but thinks they don't like old movies and i guarantee you they're really going to enjoy the first half hour of it and by that time be sold be sold on the film and want to watch the rest of it because it's it's great storytelling yeah i love the opening of that movie in fact it's the opening of that movie exactly what you're talking about that makes that movie it's yeah. there's just that mystery you don't know what it is the girl who mm-hmm. won't talk it's so good and so well crafted i mean that's yeah. ju- that's screenwriting uh it's oh yeah that's it's, definitely a, in my top creature features of all time no doubt everybody on that film was not making a b movie they approached it as if they were trying to make a movie that would win best picture and it's better than a lot of best picture winners yeah, I would. I definitely would agree with that. Yeah. So, are there any uh, creature features today, or or re- more recent movies that are great to you, um, or do they just not make them like like they used to? Uh, it's a combination of both. I would say the overwhelming majority of the great ones are from the 1950s. There's three genres of film that will never ever be topped as to what they were back back when they were first introduced to audiences. Film noir in the 40s is one, musicals in the 40s and 50s is two, and sci-fi monster movies in the 1950s, that's the golden age. There are genres which I think are actually better today. You couldn't make a movie like Shawshank Redemption um, even 20 years before that movie came out, let alone back in the golden era, and there's no question that that's a masterpiece. But... Um, uh, there are, I'll give you a couple of examples of movies that I thoroughly enjoy, one of which is on my all-time favorite, and Michael already knows which movie I'm going to mention here. Uh, I think Tremors, the only thing that separates it from from King Kong or them as the greatest creature feature of all time, is that Tremors didn't do anything new that hadn't been done before. It just did everything involved with not just monster movie making, but pure filmmaking on a exceptional level the acting was great the dialogue is great the production values uh the special effects everything was great about it the only thing it didn't do that king kong or them uh did was those movies were actually innovative and influential and changed uh either the medium with king kong changed music and sound effects and uh and animation effects also mat work uh the the backgrounds of king kong are absolutely mesmerizing and them showed us that you don't have to be campy to uh make a movie about giant monsters it's the template for the radiation giant insect movie but it's a, a thoroughly serious film with uh you know edmund gwynn is in that movie and he's an academy award-winning actor where i mentioned shawshank redemption james whitmore is in that movie james well, that, yeah that's right very, <laughs> yeah james arness was always a very likable actor and the the writing and the directing uh you don't have to be campy to make that type of movie. So not only did it start its own genre, the the radiation, you know, giant bug on the loose genre, but it showed you that those movies can work if you take them seriously. 
Tremors, as much as I love it, I think it's it's a great film. It's probably my it's number three, definitely number three on my all time favorite creature feature movies. The only thing that it didn't do was introduce something new to the genre, but it was still great because it did all the things that we missed about the genre because there hadn't been a great giant monster movie in a very long time. Yeah, a Tremors Tremors that, did a did a really good job with with kind of having the the humor attached with the yeah. horror with the right. creature even with kind of like a, a a sort of sub love story kind of going on with then another guy who like loves his guns and I mean they, yeah. they kind of had everything in it it's you could take the monsters out of that and you would have a great comedy uh, that's yeah. how that's yeah how you good, would that's how good that film is um, there's a couple of films, uh, one of which is probably going to surprise you that I'm going to say I enjoyed. I'm not, I'm not saying it's great that I enjoyed. Um, I actually enjoyed The Meg, and the reason I enjoyed it was nice, because yeah. I, first of all, yeah, I, the reason I enjoyed it is because it didn't come across like a shark movie to me or a Jaws-inspired ripoff. To me, it came across like a 1950s giant monster. It had the formula of a 1950s giant monster movie. I disagree with people who say the special effects look like a sci-fi channel movie. I think they look way better than that. Um, yeah, uh, I think so, like them, or, like them or not, Jason Statham, Jason Statham is is a, a pretty likable actor, and there was plenty of well-known uh, Rain Wilson and um, uh, Robert Taylor from Longmire w- was in the movie. Um, it's, it's just, it, to me, it played like a 1950s science fiction movie. And from that standpoint, I enjoyed it. And I even watched it a second time to see if my expectations were so low that that's why I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it just as much the second time. I'll also throw out um, uh, two other films, one of which I think is close to being great. I loved Shin Godzilla. I thought oh, that was yeah. Godzilla movie. I still have to Period. see that one. I still got to see yeah, that. I have not seen that either. Yeah, you had sent me uh, a link on that, and uh, yeah, I just got haven't gotten movie. around to it yet. Did you Did yeah. you like the new Godzilla? Oh, no, um, I didn't think the, the 2014 was a bad film, but I didn't particularly think it was good. But Michael knows that uh, one of the worst experiences I've ever had watching a monster movie in the theater was Godzilla King of the Monsters, the one that just came out a couple of years ago. Um, don't get me started on that because you, you'll spend a, an hour and a half editing the show. Um, <laughs> so before we before we continue there, did you like uh, Kong um, Skull, Skull Island? Island. Um, I liked it enough the, uh, the first time I saw it, and, but it, it's interesting enough, it was the same reaction that I had to Peter Jackson's King Kong. I couldn't get through it a second time. I was glad that I saw it and there was enough, it was fast paced enough and there was enough interesting special effects that um, I'm glad I saw it in the theater. Wait, 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 real to- quick. Yeah. Yeah. You, that's the same reaction you had to Peter Jackson's, which means you got through it the first time? <laughs> uh, Peter Jackson's, well, I didn't even get through because after an hour and they were still sitting on the dock ready to, yeah. to board the boat, I turned it off. It was horrible. I had a kid. I had a kid with me, my my nephew, so I had to stay. I will say I'm glad I saw the uh, the ending because that's one of the better. That and the Avengers, uh, the first Avengers movie, are two of the best examples of how to use CGI the right way. Normally, I think CGI actually looks kind of flat. Watch the uh, the CGI plane crash at the end of Air Force One, and it looks like crap. Whereas, watch the plane crash in Airport 77 when it hits the uh, the oil tower and then crashes into the water and sinks. That's 
exactly 20 years earlier. I think that was 1977. And I believe uh, Air Force One was 1997. And Airport 77 looks way better. Uh, so I'm not a big fan of CGI. But I was glad I saw the movie the first time. I tried watching them both a second time and turned them off. I couldn't get through them. Uh, what was the... There was one movie you, you sent me. Um, it was a sci-fi channel movie with the dragon. Yeah. What was the that? The Wyvern. Yeah, it's that's called, it. It's, it's called The Wyvern. I'm uh, I'm a big fan of that movie, not because it's great, although I do think it's good, but it's without a doubt the, the best sci-fi channel movie, except for the fact that they show The Wyvern in the very first... It, it, I don't want to give anything away, but it breaks out of an ice thing. And it shows up, and they show you the monster right away, and I think they did that because the... Uh, like I said, the attention spans of today's audiences are not the way they were before, but it had some really good actors. Yeah. Uh, it had, smart, had a smart script. Um, it was fast paced and there were some nice little character touches in it. The The CGI wasn't particularly uh, well rendered, but it was one monster instead of a bunch of monsters fighting. And so it, uh, it may be able to take the uh, the rendering of the CGI monster much better than other movies, but I just thought it was a smart script with some surprisingly good dialogue and every actor except for um, uh, the lead female I'd never seen her in something before, but um, Nick Chinlin who played the lead he's been on quite a few episodes of Law and Order and I think he's a fairly prominent Broadway star in New York. Um, Don S. Davis and Barry Corbin. Uh, uh, rest in peace on both of them. Two great character actors who were doing. Uh, very professional work in that movie. It's just a good, solid, uh, solid movie. And by sci-fi movie channel standards, it's Citizen Kane. <laughs> nice, yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, now, is uh, as far as Halloween goes, are there any are, like what do you typically do for Halloween? Are there like traditional movies that you watch every year? Or do you watch move monster the movies or anything? I did. There were, um, I don't want to bring down your audience, but um, traditions have uh, kind of gone the wayside for me because um, I don't have kids, uh, never got married. And um, uh, if I'm involved in a tradition, it's usually somebody else's tradition that I've been invited to. Um, I used to have, uh, my family used to have a tradition of watching the original King Kong on New Year's Eve um, in the Bay Area, uh, KPIX Channel 5. When I was a kid, for about 15 years, after the ball dropped and they stopped doing the coverage, they would show the original King Kong. And our parents were letting us stay up that night because it was New Year's Eve. So for the first five of the 15 years that they did this, I was watching it because at the time it was my my favorite movie. It's still one of my favorites. And then my mom always loved the movie. So she started watching it and it became a tradition to watch that movie on New Year's Eve. And we did it for... I did it myself for the first 15 years until they finally stopped doing it. But by that time we had a VCR um, funny story. We used to watch it on tape and my dad accidentally taped a, uh, a dirty movie off of Cinemax over King Kong ah. and with friends and family at the, uh, at the New Year's Eve, <laughs> party, he popped the tape in and the first thing we saw was a naked lady shaking her butt in the camera. Um, nice. So uh, that, that was the one, that was the one year that we didn't do it. Um, but after my mom passed away, um, I stopped doing that. Um, I'd still do it sometimes myself just to kind of honor her memory, but none of my friends or family members thought that was a particularly cool tradition once my mom was gone. 
And um, the kind of movies, we talked about this before, the kind of movies that I like, especially the older ones, um, or the more recent ones like Halloween or Dawn of the Dead, I don't really have any friends locally that like that. And I got tired of having traditions where I was the only one there. So uh, uh, I used to have the tradition of the first couple of years in Halloween, I would watch them. Uh, then I switched to uh, uh, Halloween. Then a couple of years later, I was watching Dawn of the Dead. But um, when you're watching a movie that you've seen God knows how many times uh, on your own, and you you kind of feel like, God, I, I wish somebody here was here with me so we can talk about this movie. Uh, the traditions kind of went the wayside because it was just me and, and nobody else, especially after my mom passed away. So uh, I used to have traditions about movies, including Halloween, but I, I don't anymore. So that, sorry, I didn't mean to bring everybody. Back. No, that's you're good. so. That being yeah, said, though, that being said, so uh, we need to get a nice list of creature feature movies that we could, you know, program into our Halloween because that's what Tom and I are mm -hmm. going to do this year, and maybe others right. will be doing the same thing. So, would you be able to list like maybe your top ten, or maybe even after that, just a, a, a few other movies that maybe we should check out that maybe we don't know about. And they could be old ones mm -hmm. and they could even be new ones. Like you're talking more recent ones that, that right. we're talking about. Well, um, uh, I can't possibly talk about movies and count to 10 at the same time. So I'll just mention the ones I like. And when you get to 10 or you're just tired of hearing me <laughs> uh, rattle off titles, uh, just go ahead and stop me. As far as the great movies, um, Without question, uh, uh, in terms of creature features, King Kong, them, uh, Tremors, The Thing from Another World, and um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that's five. And, and then real the quick, other Invasion, movies, that's yeah. the original. I think you're an original. Origi yeah, okay. The original. I uh, the, the 1978 one is not bad. The other two that came after that are two of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, but the original 1957 uh, version with Kevin McCarthy, although he had a cameo in the 78 version. And then, um, you know, uh, Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, Halloween. Um, uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman is one of my favorites because it's got such beautiful shadow work and an art direction. Um, and then for some titles that you wouldn't expect, um, I still find some of the old Burt I. Gordon movies from the 70s kind of fun. Uh, they're definitely bad movies. One of them I recommended to you, Michael. I think you had never seen Food of the Gods. Um, oh, loved and, that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, loved that it. That movie is fun. And I think never it, I even think heard of that movie. Yeah, yeah. I think it's ripe for a remake. And um, I was going to mention this before when we were talking about the modern. Uh, are there any good modern ones? Um, I really thoroughly enjoy Arachnophobia. Um, oh, I gotta see that the, again. Oh yeah, that's actually a really good movie. Yeah, it's, I remember it's very people were freaking all out because you know all the spiders and everything that were yeah. in that. And I'm I'm arachnophobic. The first time I saw that movie, um, I saw it with my friend Amanda, and she said the best part of the movie was watching me squirm through the whole thing. <laughs> um, if you see it a couple of times, you get over that. But it's it's well acted, it's well directed, um, and it is a creature feature in that um, it's a scary thing that's killing people and causing a lot of destruction. And it's one that right now doesn't exist. Um, who knows what's out there in the rainforest? We may find out in a few years that there really is some incredibly dead, deadly insects out there. But mostly, it's uh, it's very much a 1950s science fiction uh, movie, or actually more like a 1970s uh, sci-fi horror movie, uh, creature feature film, but it's, it's very well done and a lot of fun. I actually watched that on Halloween with, uh, 
uh, a couple of friends uh, once and we all enjoyed it. It's, it's just a really good movie. And then so, uh, I'll, I'll throw the Wyvern back in there for the sci-fi movie because I really think that's to people who like old sci-fi movies, I think they'll appreciate and get some good entertainment out of that. So I, you mentioned earlier uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. I've yes. never seen that. Is is that a pretty good good flick? It's it's entertaining. Um, it's one of those good and bad movies. Um, it's definitely not boring. It's fast paced. The special effects. Uh, if you like Ray Harryhausen, you just I've only seen one Ray Harryhausen movie where I can legitimately say I didn't enjoy it, and that's uh, Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger. Um, but the special effects, the destruction scenes of, of Washington, D.C. Uh, in that movie are great. It's fast paced. It, and it's also got that silliness that sometimes works for those movies that uh, covers up the fact that uh, some of the, there's some shortcomings in the script. But it's a good film. I have a, a, a mini frame poster of it here in my place. Cool. Uh, so uh, any other titles, maybe, you know, more rare ones that maybe people haven't heard of that you can list off? Sure. Um, one that doesn't get talked about enough is um, the Black Scorpion. It's got the special effects by Willis O'Brien, who did King Kong, of course. Um, the story is a little hokey, but it's a it's a really fun movie. And then, of course, it came from Beneath the Sea and the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, both by Ray Harryhausen. Nice. Uh, in 1980, um, we had talked about Piranha. Uh, earlier in the interview and that was written by John Sayles and John Sayles also wrote the screenplay for Alligator which came out in 1980 and that movie is a lot of fun I gotta see that one that's been on my list it's it's a really good flick and um, oh gosh the uh, uh, for some of the more campy cheesier ones uh, uh, if you watch Mystery Science Theater the movies that uh, our best for mystery science theater are the ones that even though they're easy to make fun of, they still have a plot and they still have, you know, like a, uh, kind of like the airplane movies. The, those movies are better if they have a plot that you can follow straight through. And I think you can get a lot of enjoyment out of, um, uh, the amazing colossal man. Uh, and by the way, the MST three K episode of amazing colossal man is by far the funniest one they ever did. <laughs> nice. That show can sometimes, after about an hour, get a little tiresome um, because there's just so much. There's just so much to do with that idea that, or uh, there's so little you can do with that idea after about an hour, and it starts to get a little tiresome. But that one episode, and I love MST3K, but that one episode, it stays funny all the way through. I, they were never better than that. And then, um, uh, as a kid, uh, I really enjoyed, and I still think it has. A, has its moments even though the special effects are awful the beginning of the end with peter graves uh, about the uh, uh the giant grasshoppers is um that one's a lot of fun because in spite of the bad special effects and the cheesy dialogue it's very fast paced and it has a lot of monster action in it um i think uh i think fans of the uh of cheesy sci-fi um the so bad it's good type of movies i think they'll find that uh, those movies pretty good uh, for fun, but also think, hey, you know, these actually aren't as bad. Also, um, the special effects in the giant claw are amongst the worst ever's, uh, worst ever, <laughs> the worst ever. But um, the story itself is if they had put it was originally supposed to be done by Ray Harryhausen. And then the company that made it, I forgot what the name of the company is off the top of my head. Um, but they decided to go with a, a Mexican uh, film company that did special effects and they created this 
unbelievably awful bird, which, by the way, the first time <laughs> the first time you see it, it is one of the biggest laugh out loud moments you will ever have. But if you take the special effects out of it, it's still, you know, it's on the level of a black scorpion or some of the other uh, uh, giant monster movies. And I think the uh, the fans of those will find those pretty good as well. Nice. Uh, you know, one one last question. Uh, like, where do you, as far as like newer monster movies, do you see or where do you see monster movies going, or do you see like, or where do you think it would be a cool, a cool, a cool direction for monster movies to kind of bring them back? Because it seems like there aren't really a lot that I can think of anyway coming out now. Well, the the monster, the monster verse is pretty much the, the whole thing with the uh, universal. And I don't like the direction that they're going with those movies. I've yet, I've yet to enjoy, uh, one of them. In fact, except for, uh, I thought Godzilla, the one in 2014 and King Kong or Kong Island, excuse me. I thought they were okay, but the other one, uh, uh, King, Godzilla King of the Monsters was just absolutely awful. But the whole direction that the series is going is, I don't think it works in a modern setting. And it seems like even though it's supposed to be this one universe, none of these films seem like they belong in the same universe. And so the direction that they're going, as far as like setting it in a modern setting and trying to tie all these films together, it doesn't work. Godzilla to 2014 and Godzilla King of the Monsters, even though they have the same characters, they don't look like they, they came from the same universe. And what I would like to see, but this will never happen. I, I kind of thought it would after the Peter Jackson's King Kong. He said, I don't care if it's in the past. I think this story works better in the past. So he redid it in 1933, like the original, unlike the uh, uh, the Dino De Laurentiis remake in 1976. And I think these movies would be more fun if they did. Now, they have to make them better than peter jackson's king kong because that movie has a lot of flaws the the only really good thing in it other than the uh the the special effects and the climax at the end was that he decided to go back in the past and i think the reason why that works better is because it's more convincing that it would be that much harder to kill the monster and try to come up with ways to kill it no matter how dangerous you make a monster today you just think with today's technology it shouldn't be that hard to kill him that's and, true that's true and, yeah. yeah and it, it takes the tension out of it um even if you get the monster action there's no real tension into whether or not the earth is going to get saved and you know when you look at the the ray harryhausen movies of the 50s or king kong or um any of the other movies that i mentioned earlier when you set them in the 1950s or the early 1960s you can believe that these monsters would be more of a threat and that it would be harder to kill them. And that at least gives the movie a certain amount of suspense. When I watch them in the new, like King Kong in King Kong, uh, in Kong Island, do you really think an ape that size couldn't be killed by military helicopters? I think they'd have enough bullets and rockets <laughs> to be able to kill a 50 foot ape. I mean, that doesn't seem like it's that that challenging of a uh, thing he's not radioactive he doesn't regenerate like godzilla and shin godzilla he's just a very large monkey and if a hunter can kill a monkey with a rifle then a 50 foot uh gorilla should be able to be killed with a uh, you know a military grade helicopter so i think the direction that they should go is do what jackson did but don't go all the way back to the 1930s but go back to the 1950s when this era was born and Treat it like it really – you don't have to make it exactly like it's an old movie in the 1950s, but that's where this genre came from. Wouldn't it be fun for the fans to see you know, 
the old sets, the old buildings and the old stuff that got torn down in the in the old movies. Do it again, but with different locations, you know. Yeah, I like there's that. A lot, there's, there's a lot of stuff to uh, there's a lot of stuff to destroy even in the 1950s. There are still plenty of buildings and bridges and <laughs> things like that. You can do something with the uh, with the Grand Canyon, trap a, a monster inside the Grand Canyon and blow up uh, two sides and bury them underneath the uh, the Grand Canyon. There's all sorts of fun stuff you can do, and it's more believable that the the monster would be a threat facing 1950s warfare technology. Then and plus you'd have the debate of the uh, whether or not to use the nuclear weapons after, you know, that's what caused these monsters to begin with. I think it actually creates more ideas instead of making it less, you know, less believable. But I don't think Hollywood thinks audience was would accept that. But they forget that most of the people who enjoy these, you know, who would enjoy a new King Kong or a new Godzilla movie, they probably grew up on these old films and like the old ones, too. So. That's that's where my thinking takes me. I just don't know if it'll ever go that way. Nice. Well, so Mike, you want to you want to go into our our uh, our lightning round questions? Yeah. So sure. these are you know if you ever watched Inside the Actor Studio with James Lipton, love uh, that show. So sorry to hear when he passed away. Yeah, I know. It's like no one can replace him. But basically, we're gonna ask a quick question, like a one word or one sentence answer. Um, okay. and we'll just, we'll just blast through. So what's your favorite monster? King Kong. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. Great. But Godzilla, Godzilla done well, uh, could like Shin Godzilla, if they made more good Godzilla movies, it could give King Kong a run for his money. So King Kong versus Godzilla, who's winning? Ah, I couldn't care less. I just want to see monsters. I want them to look cool and I want the movie to be fast paced and fun. Um, as a kid, it disappointed me that Godzilla died at the, or apparently died at the end of King Kong versus Godzilla. Now I, I don't care. I just enjoy watching the monsters. There you go. So if you were a monster, uh, what would you be? Oh gosh. Um, I think I would have to be one of the pod people from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think I'm a little bit too boring to be uh, a really cool creature. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, have you ever harnessed energy from lightning to create any of your work? Not that I can recall. <laughs> <laughs> I, may, I may use it if I ever get writer's block. Well, have you ever tried to take over the world? Um, no, but I'd be lying if I said I never thought about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, what do you book that uh, that we mentioned in a podcast that says mm -hmm. you know how to take over the world? It's a whole guide on how to do it. If you want me to send you it, oh yeah, um, <laughs> I did come up. I did come up with I think the perfect uh, solution to the zombie to surviving the zombie apocalypse, and that is if you can get it there before anybody else, you need to take over a Costco. You can live for decades. Oh yeah, for sure. That, yeah, that's really the place to go. Yeah, they have everything and lots of it. <laughs> and e and an easy place to secure. Uh, uh, Costco's, I believe, only have front doors and the loading dock, and that's it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, they have all those medical supplies, all the the bulk of ibuprofen and all that. I mean, that's yeah. the place to go. And the stuff that you can't use, you use it to fortify the doors. I mean, it's just it's it's perfect. And it's yeah. big enough that I think you could last a little And you'll eventually get bored. I think Dawn of the Dead made that point. You in the mall it doesn't matter what's in the mall eventually you're going to get going to get bored and feel claustrophobic but in the zombie apocalypse i i've got a bag ready and i'm going straight to costco 
Nice. Now you got your membership. Uh, I'm going to be taking it over by force, so I don't need a membership. There you go. There you go. Uh, What do you do for evil in your spare time? Um, gosh, I I have to be honest with you. Um, I'm I'm a sap. Uh, I I don't I don't have a dark side. I love cats. I love old movies, uh, even musicals. I love singing in the rain and stuff like that. I really don't have much of a a dark side. I'm. I'm a pacifist unless somebody's threatening somebody that I care about. That's about the only thing that would ever uh, induce me into to violence. So no skeletons in your closet then? No, no. I, I'm like I said. I'm a pretty boring. Uh, I'm a pretty boring person. I'm I'm the opposite of a bad boy. It's probably why I've been painfully single most of my life. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite shade of blood and guts? Um, uh, black and white movie brown. All right. Oh, there you go. Favorite type of victim? Oh, the the person who the 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 idiot politician in the uh, you know the the sci-fi creature feature movies, the guy who uh, you'd never vote for, and you're glad to see him get eaten. Nice, like in Aliens, the uh, the Paul uh, Reiser, yeah, the Paul Reiser character, exactly, yeah. perfect, love it. Can't remember his name, but I, I I'm not a James Bert. Cameron fan. Is it Bert? I do love the movie Aliens. Bert yeah, or something? Is, I think something like I, that. I yeah. don't like James Cameron, but I do really love the movie Aliens. That that movie is so great. Totally yeah. holds up today. Yeah, it it's an amazing no, definitely. film. That's his magnum opus as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, all right, next. Uh, what kind of scream or cry of terror do you love most? Oh, God. You know, um, uh, this is an obvious choice, but I can't help it. It's still it's still the best. I love Fay Ray screaming. Fay Ray, I love yeah. it. Fay Ray, yep. And I, can I say something? I, think I don't think I don't think the acting uh, the acting in King Kong is a little stiff. Uh, and a lot of people criticize Fay Ray. Uh, I thought she was one of the most stunningly beautiful women of the '30s, but I don't think her acting is all that bad. And I think um, Robert Armstrong is kind of fun in that movie. And if you watch the movie again. The progression of uh, Bruce Cabot's character, he starts off as being really clunky, but in the action scenes towards the end, he's actually kind of convincing. I think the the acting in that movie gets a little bit of a bad rap. Any chance to defend King Kong, I'm going to do it. There you go. Yeah. So what type of scream or cry of terror do you love the least? Oh, a, 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 child, a child. Oh, actually, well, a child or an animal. Um, I can't. Uh, as much as I loved arachnophobia, I came close to walking out on it. There was a scene where the spider almost killed a cat. And um, if I see uh, a, a child, uh, I was very disturbed by the children that were killed in the remake of The Blob. That that really bothered me. Um, and I am kind of bothered by the, the children that are killed in the original uh, uh, Piranha. But I'm such a big fan of both Joe Dante and uh, John Sayles that I, that I forgive it. But um, seeing kids or animals actually harmed or die in horror movies it it, it leaves a, an uneasy feeling uh with me so their screams or you know cries of pain that that's just not something that i i enjoy yeah like assault on precinct 13 what'd you think of that and that beat that oh that's rough huh that, no. it's it's rough but i gotta give carpenter props for doing that i also gotta say i think that's an incredible action film oh for sure Um, for sure here's here's the interesting part like okay so the new it that came out uh you know a while ago when they did the remake of it Mm -hmm. uh you know i had a you're watching the movie and you feel kind of weird because you're saying man this is entertaining but at the same time kids are dying you know and so it's, you almost feel kind of demented 
watching the thing because you're you're watching kids die. Well, doesn't it change as you, as you get older? I mean, I'm finding that violence in so as much as I love seeing Quint get eaten in Jaws and the melting faces and exploding heads in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, that Only kind of stuff, dead alive or evil dead. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's just gore city there. That kind of stuff um, didn't bother me when I was younger, but it's actually starting to bother me a lot more now. And sometimes if I'm watching even the good ones, I might I might look away. I was watching an episode of uh, oh God, Downton Abbey uh, where there were several episodes where they went hunting. And um, I, I didn't fast forward through it, but I turned and looked away and just listened to the dialogue while they were shooting the, the animal. Something about getting older uh, is actually uh, making me even more disturbed by violence than I was when I was younger, which I think it would be the opposite, but it's not. Yeah, I don't know. That kind of makes sense as you kind of get closer and closer to, you know, our own end, you right. know, and things become more fragile, you know, especially if you have a family, you know, you kind of mm-hmm. start feeling that way. How about this one? What's your favorite Mm -hmm. torture device? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I guess the uh, I I would have to say the rack, because uh, generally when the rack is used in movies, you don't really see anything happening except the the person screaming. Um, The torture device is where they where you see the blood. Um, That's when it starts to get a little uh, starts to get a little iffy for me. All right, yeah, and so the, the other question we have here is, if the elevator that goes down to the fire caves exists, and it does, what would you want the Red Devil to say when you arrive? Um, the movie starts in 10 minutes, go to the yeah. bathroom and the theater. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. And All right, cool. there's a couple of red hots. Okay. <laughs> well, um... We're about out of time here, but uh, do you have anything that uh, you have in the works right now? Uh, things that people can look forward to checking out, um, well, and then um, also where can they get a hold of you? Well, I'm I'm only a couple weeks away from uh, launching all four books on Amazon, and I will be creating a uh, a Facebook uh, a Facebook page for for all four of the uh, of the books, but definitely the. Uh, uh, the movie, if you're curious as to, you know, uh, it takes a lot of time out of your schedule to read a book. And if you want to know whether or not it's worth your time, I would say watch my movie on YouTube and you'll get an idea of whether or not you like my writing style. Uh, I think Michael will tell you that uh, my strength is in writing dialogue. And if you like snappy dialogue, then you're probably going to like the movie and that might make you think, oh, I'll check out his books. If he's if it's going to be funny, um, then, you know, maybe I'll, I'll enjoy them. And I'm going to be launching all four books within the next couple of weeks. I finally finished the book covers and now I'm just finishing up the proofreading and editing. Cool. Well, we'll also put a link if you want, we could put a link to your Facebook, your personal Facebook page. Is that cool or rather uh, sure, not? Sure, except I, I, I think you're probably going to air the show before I'm, before I'm ready to put anything on the, uh, uh, the Facebook page. Cause okay. I, I'm still, I still have to finish editing one of the, uh, uh, one of the books, uh, and uh, that's probably going to take me another week and a half. Okay, well, we'll put it. We'll put a link then, and then whenever people get to this, they can kind of just check in. And you know, I'm sure once you you launch, you know, the books, you'll be posting stuff about it on that page, so people will be oh, able yeah, to find absolutely. it. Absolutely, cool. Yeah. All right. Anything else uh, before we uh, we call it a night here? Uh, no, just that I really appreciate the uh, uh, the opportunity to uh, to be on here. Um, this is 
honestly, since the pandemic started, this has probably been the most fun hour I've I've had in quite a few months. So well, I, I definitely really can't that. tell really you got it. some you got some serious knowledge in movies more than I think I will ever have. And you know, Mike's more of a movie buff than I am. You know, you want to talk video games, I can do that all day, and <laughs> maybe Dungeons and Dragons and and virtual reality, but uh, or maybe I can only computers. talk about Pac-Man. Yeah, <laughs> Pac-Man and the Atari Twenty Six Hundred or something. Oh right? yeah, but I had the Atari Twenty Six Hundred Combat. Yeah, heck yeah, that's a great game. And the Haunted House. <laughs> those those are all fast, yeah, deadly. Yeah. And did you ever the, find the uh, dot in Adventure? Nope. Did I ever what? Did you ever find the dot in Adventure? I didn't. There's a. Do you have? Do you still have a twenty six hundred? I have a kind of like one of those little retro ones where, where. I don't uh, know if the retro ones you can do it, but the uh, I, I'm sure you remember the Adventure game. That was one of the most fun Atari twenty six hundred. Oh yeah. Games. If you go to, um, I'm going by my memory here. Uh, you know the room that has the, uh, uh, the. It's mostly a maze that's in that you can't see where you're going. Um, if you go to one of the corners of the screen, I can't remember which one it is, and you wait long enough, eventually a little dot will appear, and you have to grab the dot the same way you would grab the uh, the sword that you use to kill the uh, the dragon or whatever it is, and then you have to take the dot to a special room. And when you there's a couple of other steps to it, but when you finally get to the end it brings you a screen that gives you the credits of all the people who created the game. Oh, you know, I think they talk about that in, in the book, ready player one, ready player I, one. Yeah. yeah. I think, so. yeah. I think they bring I think that. They up. said that on the, on the first, that's on the first level. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause it's like one of those little Easter eggs that made them go to the next, the next thing. That might have been the first, if I'm not mistaken, that might have been one of the first Easter eggs. I, yeah, I think I think he actually he, points that out in, in the book Ready Player One. I don't think that... If you deep, haven't read Ready Player One, you should definitely read it. It's a great I, book. I've seen the movie. Um, uh, oh, I'd like to get around to the book just to do the comparison because I'm such a Spielberg fan. Um, yeah, I'm telling you right now, you you are going to love the book more yeah, than the, the third, movie. Now, the third act the is way great. better in the book. The yeah. third act is way better in the book. Yeah, yeah, it's not one of Spielberg's just, best, but it's still a good movie, I think. It's a great movie, and and honestly, like I I was a little uh, weary going into watching the movie because I knew they had changed a lot of stuff. But I I can say Steven Spielberg did a great job um, with the with the movie. But I I'm, I'm not gonna lie, you're gonna enjoy what Ernest Cline did with mm-hmm. the book, and if you even get a chance, uh, read his Armada book as well because I. I honestly think that one's right up there with Ready Player One. Um, a lot of people would probably, you know, say no way, but uh, Armada was a fun book as well. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely have to check it out. Like I said, I got a lot of downtime at work to uh, to read and write. My the, my last two novels, I wrote every single word of a, word of them on a work computer. <laughs> yeah. <Nice>. Again, <laughs> hopefully your boss. <laughs> Don't tell my bosses that I'm on the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very cool. Well, I do well, appreciate you coming on here and and uh, showing us and talking to us about all this information on these movies. Because uh, I mean, I have a, a whole list of notes here on all the stuff that you were recommending. So I'm going to go back and I got a lot of movies to watch. Well, if you if you're having trouble fast forwarding or anything and you just need a quick answer, just send me a message through Facebook and I'll say, oh, was this one or that one. Yeah, no, for sure. That, that'd be awesome. Very cool. All right, JP. Well, thanks again for joining us. And uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon. 
All right, it was great being on. Thanks, guys. All right, so that was our interview with J.P. Michaels. Again, check out uh, the links we leave in the show notes, and uh, you can kind of follow him, check out his stuff. Anything else, Tom, that uh, you wanted to say before we call this one a night? Well, actually, now, I said we weren't going to have anything to say, or I wasn't going to have anything to say, but if you are looking for J.P. Michaels, uh, in Transylvania, you're probably going to find him in the Monster Islands since King Kong is his favorite stuff. So yeah, he's probably he, just going to be looking for him or hanging out with him, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <Yeah. laughs> All right, cool. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Jack O' Lantern Press Podcast. For more about the Monster Universe and the Monster Revolution that's upon us, go to jackolanternpress.com. You can also call our pumpkin hotline and leave us a message with any questions, suggestions, or your impressions of the show at 323-761-0276. And if you enjoy the show, please give us a rating and a review. It's a big help for the podcast, and we'd greatly appreciate it. So thanks again for joining us. To take us out of this episode like we like to do in our regular podcast, here's a clip from a Halloween record Tom and I enjoyed as kids. It's Wade Denning's 1974 record, Monster Mash, Sounds of Terror. And this clip, uh, in honor of JP's favorite creature feature, King Kong, here is King Kong. So yeah, thanks again for joining us. We'll meet up again soon in the Pumpkin Patch. From an uncharted island in the Pacific, a giant ape was captured and transported by freighter to New York City. His moment of fame was challenged by a prehistoric sea monster that surfaced off the coast of Japan. Eventually, they met in deadly combat, a titanic death struggle of the giants. The world trembled to the thunder of the raging conflict until the victor pounded his massive chest and bellowed his roar of victory. King Kong. 